I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, I had to do a little errand for my wife, but it's time to podcast. Okay, so today's topic is booster packs. I'm going to tell you more than you ever wanted to know about the booster pack. Okay, so let's start. Let's go a little technical to start. What exactly is a booster pack? How do you make a booster pack? Um, now, booster packs predate magic, obviously. Booster packs are technology uh, that trading cards have always been made with. So let's talk a little bit about what they are. Okay, so the way you make a booster is uh, you take the booster material, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit. We, over the years, we've changed a little bit what our booster material is. But usually, uh, it is something that is... Um, Usually it's metallic, not always, but it's something in which it's firm enough that you can hold stuff inside it. So the way that it is made is you print flat uh, an image that you print many, many times and you chop up. And then what you do is you take it and you wrap it around and you um, sort of heat seal the end. You, you crink, crinkle it. Um, and then you, it makes a tube. So you, imagine you print and then you... Uh, you cut it out. So imagine you took a booster pack and you completely undid all the seams and laid it flat. That's how it's printed. Then the first thing they do is they wrap around the sides and they, they crinkle it. That, that's the thing that runs on the back. And they make a little tube out of it. Um, and then the way it works is that the cards... So magic, uh, there's different sheets of cards. And there's a common sheet, an uncommon sheet, a rare sheet, a land sheet... And that each one of those slots in the booster pack um, gets their own hopper. So the idea is, you would let's say we take the common sheet, we print the common sheet, uh, we chop it all up. Usually the sheets are about 11 by 11, but they vary in size. You chop them all up, and then you make a hopper of commons. You would do the same for uncommons. You would do the same for rares and mythic rares, which are on the same sheet. You would do the same for land. Um, I'll, I'll get into it later. There's other other sets. Sometimes we'll have other other slots. Um, then what happens is. Um, you have this tube and it sort of moves it along and then it drops the correct number of slots into the booster. Um, I don't know whether or not the slot dropping happens first. I've not actually physically seen this happen. My assumption is it drops all the slots first and then as one bundle of cards, it drops it into the sleeve. That's what I think happens. Um, but anyway, the cards get dropped. So the, 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 there's little shoots. They get dropped together. It makes 15 cards or 16 cards, counting the um, ad cards. And then it slides in and drops into the booster. Um, but what they do is, uh, I think they crinkle cut the bottom, then they drop the cards in, then they crinkle cut the top. Um, and that's done with heat. That's done at the printer. Uh, literally the way you package them is they make all the component pieces. And then now note that everything I'm talking about, all the printing is done... Um, it's not done by hand, it's done by machines. So essentially what happens is, um, so let's say we're making War of the Spark, since that's the set that's currently out as you guys are listening to this. So, okay, uh, War of the Spark has so many commons, so many uncommons, so many rares, and uh, a land. And so each of those sheets are printed, it's chopped up, each of those are put in their own hopper. Uh, a booster pack has so many cards from each hopper, so oh, it's ten commons, and three uncommons, and one rare mythic rare, and one land. And it comes together. It, uh, the boosters are taken. They're, they're, uh, the heat is used to seal them so they make a tube. Then you seal the bottom. Then you dump the cards in. Then you seal the top. Um, uh, oh, and so actually, technically what happens is uh, you make a flat sheet. You then 
I think what happens is they actually seal. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what order they do it. They chop. You have to chop up the individual sheets and then you seal them. Um, but anyway, all this is done online. All this is done mechanically. Um, the reason is, by the way, is this. Uh, the printer is capable of making the booster wrap. So the, the reason that uh, card sleeves, or the reason that uh, trading cards are in booster packs is everything can easily be made at the printer. The printer that makes the cards can print the flow wrap. Um, and all you need is you need the machine, I mean, you need the machines to print and then you need the machines to seal. Um, but because trading cards are a pretty popular thing, uh, that's a machine that they have. Um, and that you then, all, everything we're talking about is all being done at one single printer. Um, sometimes when we have more components, uh, what happens in larger products is sometimes some components are made somewhere and then shipped somewhere else and they're all put together sometimes somewhere else. That can happen. Um, but the thing about booster packs is the only, the only thing is the cards and the booster wrap and that can all be done together. Um, okay, I talked about War of the Sparks, so I guess I should bring this up, is um, once upon a time, the way technology worked was it was very simple. You have so many slots. Every slot is its own sheet, and that's the way it was. You know, that, oh, like when, when Magic first started, when Alpha started, um, there were uh, 15 cards per pack. There were, uh, I believe it was 11 commons, three uncommons, one rare. Mythic Rare wasn't a thing yet. Lands at the time weren't their own slot. Lands were just common, uncommon, and rare sheets had land intermixed with them. So yes, if you, you could actually get, a, an, I guess island was on the rare sheet. You could get a rare island in your slot. Like your rare for the pack could be an island. That happened in Alpha. Um, later on, we eventually realized that um, putting land on its own sheet allowed us more flexibility of controlling when and how you got to land. So eventually we started making land sheets. When that happened, we printed one less common and one more land. Um, at some point, we started doing the Mythic Rarity. Um, the Mythic Rarity was done, uh, that didn't really change slots. It just, on the rare sheet, it, it depended on how many times you printed something. Printing it twice is a rare and printing it one time is a Mythic Rare. Um, but those are all on the same sheet. Um, but the new thing, the thing that we'll see in War of the Spark is, um, we now have the technology to be a little fancier with how we do collation. So the example is, War of the Spark has a planeswalker in every pack. And what that means is that there's a guaranteed planeswalker, and then whatever rarity that planeswalker is, the machine is smart enough to um, match that rarity. So here's how I think it works. This is my best guess. Um, so normally we have hoppers. I think the way this works is that there's a hopper for commons, uncommons, rare slash mythic rare, and land, none of which have planeswalkers. Um, by the way, there's a se whole separate thing, which is um, premiums and foils. I'll get to that in a second. Um, anyway, I think the way they do that, not 100%, but I think the way they do this is they print uh, a hopper of uncommon planeswalkers, and they print a hopper of rare and mythic rare planeswalkers. And then the, there is a, the machine has a recipe, if you will. Uh, and so what the machine is instructed to do is... Every, um, in every pack, put an uncommon planeswalker, except every once in a while, put a rare mythic rare planeswalker. Um, much like how, um, well, the mythic rares and rares are a little bit different, because for those that know how it works, 
Uh, about every eighth pack instead of a mythic, instead of a rare is a mythic rare. But those are the math for that is not done in the sorting. It's done on the sheet. What that means is that the sheet of rares and mythic rares, mythic rares just show up at the one to eight rate on the sheet itself. So when you chop it up, you just put it in as it appears on the sheet, and that matches the rarity correctly. But the planeswalker to do one planeswalker per pack. What you have to do is you have to teach the dropper to say, okay, you're going to do so many uncommon planeswalkers, like every N, N packs is an uncommon, and then every, one in every, I, I don't know the numbers, I'm not saying them, but one in every, whatever the number is, instead of dropping an uncommon, you drop a rare, or a mythic rare. Um, once again, I assume those are on the same sheet. Then, and this is the, the new technology, the computer's smart enough to say, if I dropped an uncommon planeswalker, I drop one less uncommon. If I dropped a rare planeswalker, I drop. I, I don't drop the rare mythic rare. So essentially, what happens is um, nowadays we have recipes. So it sort of says, "Here's what you need to do." Um, and the, the reason the drop rates are so important is uh, we have rarities, and we want the cards to show up in a certain rarity. And so when we have cards like we have a separate set of planeswalkers, some of which are uncommon, we want the uncommon showing up at an uncommon rate. Because they drop too little of them, then even though they're in the uncommon slot, they have the rarity of a rare or mythic rare, or if we drop them too little, or, or, or reverse, if we drop them too often, then they could be as common as a common, which we don't want. Um, so anyway, that is that is new technology we did not have long ago. Um, the other technology, and, and not, not even all our printers can do this yet, but some of them can, uh, we've seen in BattleBond, um, which is the technology that says, oh, I would like card A and card B, when they appear in packs, to appear together. Um, there was the, uh, what was it, partner with? There was a mechanic in Battlebond that said these two creatures, when you get one, you get the other. So they showed up in booster packs together so that you would get them together. Um, and that technology is relatively new. For example, in original Innistrad, the way we were going to do the double face cards originally was we'd have a card that was a normal backed magic card that you put in your deck that said, oh, go get this double-sided kind of token thing. Um, you know, go get it. So the idea was the one-sided card would go in your pack and the double-sided card, would you would go get it when you cast the one-sided card. Um, the problem was, at, at the time, they couldn't guarantee those two being together all the time. I think they could guarantee like 90%. Um, but we, like, that wasn't good enough. We didn't want to say, oh, hey, you got the card that casts this really cool creature, but oh, you didn't get the creature. Or oh, you got this really cool creature, but you didn't get the card to cast the creature. Um, so we changed and ended up doing double face cards. We didn't have the single side. Uh, we ended up doing checklist cards for those that didn't have sleeves. But um, but the technology didn't exist. Like something we had wanted to do and weren't able to do. Um, and that technology. So that's one of the things that is interesting in um, booster packs is as technology changes. So let's go way back. I'm, I'm talking a little bit about the, the history of the booster pack. And as you'll see as I go along, um, we keep finding new technology, which it helps us. So when Alpha first started back in 1993, Magic first started in Alpha, um, the product was sold in booster packs and starter decks. Starter decks were little tiny boxes. Um, uh, it held 60 cards. Uh, later on, uh, originally when starters came out, they had two rares, uh, like 13 uncommons and the rest were commons, I think. Uh, and later on, the two rares become three rares, and then eventually we started calling them tournament packs, and instead of having 60 cards, they had 75 cards. Um, the idea of it was 
that you could play it out of the box. Uh, in alpha, well, I mean, technically true, um, it was pretty loosely done, and you could, you could, it'd be hard sometimes to play stuff because you just didn't have the colors, and um, it was loosely playable, but it wasn't. In a, later on, with the tournament packs, we were a little bit better um, about making sure, for example, that you got an even amount of lands and things. Early on, they just like you, you might get a lot of red cards and not a lot of mountains. That would happen in early starter decks. Um, oh, real quickly, just because it's cool trivia, it's not technically booster pack related, but it is packaging related. Um, a lot of people ask why the back of the magic card looks like the back of the magic card. What's going on? Why? Why is that the back of the magic card? And the answer to that is the original starter deck box. Um, so the original starter deck box, they thought it'd be really cool if it looked like a magical tome. Um, and so the front of the box was the, was the magic back, which looks like a magical tome. That's what it's supposed to look like. And then the, the back of the box had the back of the tome, and the side of the box had the pages of the tome with a bookmark on top. Um, and that is where that came from. Um, but anyway, we're talking booster packs. So the original booster pack was very simple. Um, in the early days, they used, uh, they did not use metallic. Uh, and one of the problems with super, super early magic was um, actually, if you push real hard, you could see they were, you could see through them, which caused uh, issues. Um, and so very quickly, as soon as we realized that was an issue, we switched over and started doing metallic so that you can't look through it. Um, the other thing that we did not do back in Alpha is um, it was very plain. Um, I mean, it was, it was full color, but it was mostly just it said magic. It had a logo on it. And the early booster packs um, were mostly just logos. Um, in fact, I think some of the early booster packs were kind of like a light version of the card back, but in different colors depending on what the set was. Um, and then eventually, we started using images on the booster packs. Um, was Ice Age? Uh, I think Ice Age was the first. I think Ice Age was the first booster pack to have images on it. Not 100 on that. This is me from memory, but I believe so. Um, and the idea was um, that we wanted to get stuff that was in the booster pack, stuff that we thought, you know, we wanted to... Uh, and so what happened was early, the earliest versions of the art on the boosters was just um, art from the set. So one of the things we do... I'm not sure if we... I'm not sure if this is what the process back in Ice Age, but um, what we do now is after the set is all done, after all the art is in, the art director for the set goes through and handpicks what they think is the most iconic art of the set. I mean, art that they, they think is just, A, you know, very pretty, you know, really good art, and B, really it plays into the, what the set's about. You know, really sort of, what are the pieces that sort of communicate what the set is? Uh, and they pick a certain number of them um, to be what we call the marketing images. And what that means is, these are the images we think that will have the, the best impact in sort of selling the set when marketing you know, try to err toward using these marketing images. Um, and the, uh, usually the booster pack, usually the booster pack is used of marketing images. Um, there are, have been some exceptions and some of the early magic, actually. I don't know if booster of marketing images was even a thing yet. Um, but uh, early magic, all the images were pulled directly off the cards. Um, actually, it's funny. One of the things that is interesting is uh, in early magic, they just got the images wherever they could. Uh, I don't know if we had marketing images early on. There's a famous case on, I think, I think it was Ice Age, where one of the pictures on the booster pack was this female soldier. A really cool picture. 
Um, but no one could figure out where it was from. And it turns out that there's a Yeti in, in, in Ice Age. And um, on the card, the Yeti is the main focal picture. And the woman's in the back. Um, and so she's not the main... She's not the main focus point, or maybe she's in the foreground, but she's not the main focal point of the picture because it's a Yeti, and you're looking at the Yeti. Um, I think actually she's in the foreground, the Yeti's behind her, and she doesn't realize the Yeti's behind her. Um, and they use this image, but it wasn't the main image, and we're like, where's this image coming from? It's a new image. And they're like, no, no, it's, it's this little tiny image on this card. Um, nowadays, um, so what do they look for in images? So when you're putting images on a booster pack, um, I mean, A, you want it to look good, but also... Um, you want something that has sort of clean vertical space. Um, you think of it, booster packs are long and thin, and so you want something that pulls people in that, that is tall and thin. Uh, usually you want something living, creatures of some kind, or, or planeswalkers. Um, what we've found with doing a, a lot of testing is um, seeing creatures tends to pull people more than seeing something... like putting a building or something just usually isn't as uh, people are more drawn to, to living things uh, and so we tend to put um, characters and stuff on the booster pack usually nowadays um, we tend to lean toward putting uh, legendary creatures and planeswalkers um, sometimes if there's a really good creature I will sometimes use those as well um, but the trick is there's a combination of wanting something that usually is one of the marketing images and something that fits the constraints of what the booster pack is. Um, there's, because it is vertical, you know, like magic cards are made to fit in the magic box. So um, other than planeswalkers, planeswalkers are, if you've ever seen a planeswalker, the image is made for the entire card uh, and then some of it's covered up. But the planeswalker image is a full vertical image. That's one of the reasons the planeswalkers tend to show up a lot in packaging. They're, they're, they're a vertical image. Um, but anyway, they have to find the right image, and they'll do that. One of the things you'll find recently, by the way, is um, they don't always use the images off the cards. So, for example, in Guilds of Ravnica, um, they were trying to figure out what booster pack images they want, and they... Uh, one sec, I have, I have to sneeze. And... Good to to me. And we were making these... Um, uh, for the in-stores... We made these ban uh, these banners, and the banners represented the five guilds and guilds of Ravnica, and they wanted a representative of each guild. Um, and there wasn't a clean example for, uh, I think it was Demir. Like, just none of the existing cards quite had what they wanted, so they ended up commissioning a unique piece for that. I think they, all the banners were unique new pieces, um, but most of them were other versions of, of characters in the set. Um, like some of them were the Planeswalkers, some of them were guild you know, champions and stuff. Um, and but the Demir piece was separate, and it wasn't on a card. So they ended up using uh, that for the the, the Demir piece because they decided. Uh, so over the years, we've had different numbers of art. Um, in the early days, we had one or three. We've gone up to five, but I think with War of the Spark, we're going back down to three. Um, we keep bouncing around about how, how many is the right number. Um, I think most we've done one, three, or five. For some reason, odd numbers is good. Uh, we did five in Guilds of Ravnica because we were doing the five guilds. Um, and they ended up using the Demir piece that was from the banner, but not from a card. And everybody's like, where's this guy? Where's he from? And he was from the banner, not, not from a card. Um, I joke that he was just Lazav because Lazav's a shapeshifter. But 
Um, okay. In the early days, when Magic... So Alpha, when it first started, um, was 15 cards. Uh, then Arabian Nights came out. That was the first expansion. Now, Arabian Nights only had 78 cards in it. So um, they decided to just put eight cards for booster because they didn't want you, you know, getting the whole set in, in too small a number of boosters. Um, and so they ended up putting in eight cards. So early on in Magic, the large sets had 15 cards. The small set had eight cards. Uh, and then we experimented. Um, Alliances, I think, had 12 cards. Unglued had 10 cards. Um, we have made specialty boosters for mass market that I think have five cards. I think we've done five and six, I think. Um, but anyway, at some point we realized that we liked what 15 was doing. Um, the interesting thing, by the way, for those that wonder why there are 15 cards in a booster pack, um, I think when we first started making um, cards, we went by the default of um, Carter Mundy was the printer, the first printer we used, and that they made trading cards. So I think they had a default size they used for trading cards. And because we didn't want to make an extra die cut, so whenever, something you don't think about, whenever you make a booster pack, if you don't stick exactly the right number, so a normal booster pack can hold 16 cards. So Magic has 15 cards plus the add card. That's all it can hold. It can't hold a 17th card. Uh, we've actually talked about, can we get another card in? And no. Um, and what happens is, the, the booster packs, the size that it is, you can get 36 of them, so 12 by 12 by 12, uh, three stacks of 12 high in a booster box. That is the size of a booster box. If you change, if you change the pack out, you have to change the box. And so one of the reasons I think we did 15 early on was, um, you know, we were a young company, it was a brand new game. Um, making new die lines and stuff can be expensive. Now, yeah, once you get big enough, and Magic is big enough now that making new die lines is not nearly the thing it once was. But when you're starting out and this is the first time you're making a game and you're trying to do as cheap as you can because you're a brand new company or a new company, um, changing die lines doesn't make a lot of sense. It just costs money. Um, and so I think they just printed off the existing die lines and that the kind of standard trading card game size was 15 cards. Now, my guess is that Richard liked it just because he wanted this to feel like trading cards. And it's like, okay, well, let's, yeah, we should stay with the existing trading card. Um, when we first started out, uh, the early playtesters did goof around with some limited environments, but Magic was not designed early on with limited in mind. In fact, it wasn't until Mirage, really, that we even developed the sets thinking that they'd be played in limited. Um, Magic did get played in limited earlier. For example, there, uh, I played limited with Ice Age. I played limited with Legends, too. That Both Legends and Ice Age. Legends is horrible in limited. Ice Age is okay, but um, the problem with Ice Age is there wasn't a lot of flying in it because East Coast playtesters don't, don't like flying all that much. There's not a lot of flying in it, so the evasion is small, and there's just the, the creature... Like, you can get... Uh, packouts where you just don't get enough creatures to be able to win with. Like, I, I've opened up uh, my boosters from uh, Ice Age and had, oh, I have six creatures. You know, I guess I'm playing all of those colors. Um, anyway, Mirage was the first time we really played that. Once we started uh, designing for Limited, we realized that 15 actually is a really good number. It allows you to draft three booster packs, and that was the right number to play with. So, we kind of backed into 15 as the size of the booster pack, but it's turned out to be something quite quite um, useful for us. And so a while back, we said, you know what? All packs are 15. 
Uh, I mean, with rare exceptions, but the normal magic, standard legal, normal, even most of the supplemental sets are 15. Uh, it allows us to make use of what we understand, to use the tie, tie lines we know, um, and there's a familiarity with it we like. Like, we like the idea that the players know what they're getting and that we don't have to re-educate them every time because when there's different size um, cards in a pack, that means cards are, like, people kind of know what to expect. And, and, and so we've definitely, um, many, many years ago, said, okay, we make 15-card packs. We also moved away from doing small sets, so our sets are large now, um, and that also tied into that. Um, the, uh, the other thing that has gone on as the technology has improved with booster packs uh, is um, we have started experimenting more with like using that extra card, the sort of add card for other things. Omnicat, for example, had a punch-out card in that spot. Um, you know, we obviously have used uh, the back of the add card for tokens. Sometimes we've used it for rules. Um, in tr- a little trivia for you, um, the first booster pack to have a 16th card, here's a trivia question, what was the first magic fetch to have a 16th card? And the answer, it wasn't the ad cards. It was um, Legends. Legends had a rules card inserted into it because there was confusion and worry that people wouldn't understand the rules. So it came with its own rules card. Um, the starter deck sometimes would come with, or in the early days would come with a, a rule book in the early days and then a 10% storybook and there's other things we've done. But those are those not boosters. Those are starter decks. Um, the... Uh, the other thing about boosters, just a, a little for you to think about, is um, most of the time, I'm sure you're, you're very much looking at the front of the booster. Uh, the front of the booster does not have a lot of information on it. Um, mostly, we like to have the name of the set, uh, Magic's logo, the name of the set, uh, a pretty picture, um, and there's a few things, like it has to say my cards, there's a few like legal things that have to sort of spell some stuff out in the front. Um, most of what's going on that we have to put on is actually snuck on the back. Um, if you've ever taken a look at the back of a booster, there's a lot of tiny print on the back of a booster. Um, one of the things about uh, trading cards is there's, there's just some legal things that have to be done. One is we have to tell you sort of your chances of getting things because there's some randomization. Um, we have to... Uh, there's some copyright information. Um, there, one of the things that's interesting is um, there's certain requirements in certain places... Um, about what has to be on the packaging. And in English specifically, because we, we sell English boosters uh, pretty much around the world. I mean, we're printed in 11 languages, so there's lots of languages. Um, but in English specifically, um, we print everything in English that needs to go to any market, I believe. So, for example, you'll notice on the back, I think there's a line of French, which is something that every, every booster sold in France has to say on it. Uh, and I think both the French and the English say it on it so that we can sell French boosters and English boosters in France. Um, but if you look back, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of little tiny... T- I know a lot of people don't actually look at the back. Um, the, uh, because of the flap of the way it's seated, the flap com- comes down, you have to sort of rip it up. But anyway, if you ever have a chance to look at the back, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of text I think most people don't even ever take a glance at sitting in the back, which I think is kind of cool. Um... The final thing, I'm almost to work. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Um, I did not have a lot of traffic today. Uh, the other interesting thing about the booster pack is... Um, oh, well, a couple things. One is, during the time period where we will be drafting different boosters together, um, there was a conscious effort to try to make the boosters look unique enough that you didn't confuse them. 
Uh, we had some times where we'd make them and they were patterned so similarly that people would draft the wrong booster. Um, now that we don't draft multiple sets together, that's less of an issue and so we're less concerned about that. Um, but that was, for example, I mean, there's a lot of, like one of the things is my job is not making the booster pack. There's people who their job is making the booster pack and I'm sure I'm missing scores of important information of things we have to do. Um, worrying about the size and how big the images are and like, there's lots and lots of things you have to worry about. Plus, uh, you want the booster pack to itself be a selling point that makes people want to buy the booster pack and there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, also, you want to tie the booster packs into the box so that there's a cohesiveness between the box and the booster pack. There's a lot of work and there's a whole, a whole team that spends, well, actually there's multiple teams. There's a graphic design team that does all the images and, and the, um, you know, making, sh- like there's a team that makes sure that everything looks good, the graphic design team, and like what's the logo and how does it work and how do things tie together and is there a cohesive element. Um, normally we make products that tie together, so, you know, any one set, like we made Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiances, but there were uh, the, the deck products that go with them and everything has to sort of, wants to be from one product family and so all of that has to be designed together. Uh, and then, so that's the graphic design part of it. And then there's the printing part of it that we have to make it. Now, the one thing about our standard legal sets is the stuff that we do all the time, we've gotten pretty good at it. You know, we've gotten, we're, we're in a routine of how to make it. Now, sometimes we make new products and those require new, de- you know, new designs. Um, and the interesting thing is whenever we're working, like one of the things that, that I don't think people realize so much is that a lot of design decisions have been made by the restrictions of the printing and of the booster. Um, like, for example, if you ever heard my, my uh, saying, if your theme's not common, it's not your theme, um, that actually came about because back in the day, if you wanted to do something at high enough volume that it was noticeable, like one of the things I always talk about is, if someone can't open up three booster packs of your set and be able to tell you what is going on, your, your theme is not being communicated well enough. Now, in the early days, the only way to guarantee that was having your theme at common. That's the only way to guarantee in random packs that you could, you could guarantee the audience would see what's going on. But with new technology, for example, we now have the ability to guarantee something in the pack. So, for example, if I have something splashy like a planeswalker and every pack's going to have a planeswalker, and that's not something you're used to seeing, you are not going to miss that every pack has a planeswalker. That's a pretty... That's a noticeable thing. And so, um, even though we don't have Planeswalkers are common, the fact that we have Planeswalkers in every pack means when you open three booster packs, you're going to say, hey, here's something out of the ordinary. All three of them had a Planeswalker. And, oh, look, there's signature cards that mention the Planeswalkers. Those are common. You know, and there's a lot of things we do so that you get the idea of, oh, Planeswalkers matter. Um, and that, what I'm saying is that freedom of printing and that freedom of what the booster pack can do has really opened up some of the ability of what we can do as designers. So even though when, you, when I started today, you're saying, oh, he's talking about booster packs, that's got nothing to do with design. In fact, it actually has a lot to do with design. Um, for example, right now, the size of you know, how many commons and uncommons and rares and mythic rares we have is mostly decided by sheet math of printing. You know, a lot of the... the a lot of choices we used to make, or we, some of them we still make, but a lot of choices we make are defined by elements of how we make it. And as technology gets better, as booster technology gets better, it starts opening us for us to be able to do what we want to do and start making decisions based not on the limitation of the printing, but on what best serves the set. Um, and so one of the cool things about the future of the booster pack is the future is very open. Um, 
I mean, as I talked about today, we've made a lot of evolutions along the way. I mean, booster packs have definitely changed over the ways. Uh, just how they look, how they feel, um, you know, just making them in such a way that we've even made them slightly easier to open over the years. Um, but it is something in which, um, you know, the technology has evolved, but it has continued to evolve and it's going to impact. Like more and more of what we'll be able to do as designers is going to be based on what the booster pack is capable of doing and how they're able to put it together. Um, so the booster pack is a core part of magic. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed my little jaunt through the history of the booster pack. Uh, but I'm at work. So we all know what that means. It means the end of my director work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.